His ambition was even stronger. The choice was mine, and it had to be made. Did I love him enough to sacrifice a promising and flourishing career? The answer was simply that I could never be just Mrs. McMary, warming her husband's slippers by the fire. I was a faro, after all, and my father's daughter. Solving crimes, for good or ill, was my inheritance. But even as I rehearsed and discarded suitable words, I was in for a disagreeable surprise when Jack, following me indoors, after we had waved goodbye to Papa and Imogen, solemnly declared that we had urgent and important matters to discuss. Once again, I presumed that this was to discuss a date for our wedding, and, armed with a plausible excuse to merit yet another delay, it never occurred to me that Jack might be having second thoughts himself. In fact, I could hardly believe what I was hearing as he stumbled through the words. I was being told by Jack, my faithful, devoted Jack, that he had met someone else, a young woman in Glasgow. He spoke rapidly, just a little above a whisper, obviously very embarrassed and deeply upset by this confession. I almost pitied him as he stammered that he thought he was in love with this young lady, but needed time to think it through. Would I be agreeable to a short separation? A little breathing space? Until he had made up his mind, and was certain this was not just a fleeting infatuation. Suddenly, I was aware of my own reactions. Shaking, my heart beating wildly, I had never been so shocked. It was unbelievable. I blinked rapidly. Surely this was a dreadful nightmare, one from which I would awaken any moment with Jack's arm about me. But I didn't wake up. This was not the stuff that dreams are made of. This was real life. Truth, rejection, harsh and bitter. Quite correctly in the circumstances, he did not stay at Solomon's Tower that night. And I lay sleepless beside his empty pillow, with the certainty that the love I had taken for granted was about to be snatched from me. The irony was that all the while I had been craftily considering a convincing escape clause, so too had Jack, but with a much stronger reason. I was honest enough not to pretend that my heart was broken. That had happened once already, when my husband, Danny McQuinn, vanished in Arizona three years ago. I had to accept that he was almost certainly dead, and I would never open the door of Solomon's Tower, as I had so often in dreams, to find him smiling waiting to take me in his arms. I had rebuilt my life without him, and although Jack's rejection was a grievous blow, I had suffered worse in my life. The loss of a beloved husband and an infant son. I had survived. I was not completely lost. I still had my career, Solomon's Tower, and Thane. Or so I thought. Yes, I still had Thane, and any day now my beloved stepbrother, Dr. Vincent Beaumarchais-Laurie, junior physician to Her Majesty's household, would visit Solomon's Tower, as he did whenever the royal train was stationary for a few hours in Waverley Station, on the journey to or from Balmoral Castle. Without Jack, I would devote myself to my thriving career. Jack might well scorn domestic cases, but I was relieved. True, there was a certain sameness about absconding wives or husbands, thieving servants, lost wills and frauds, all too predictable to merit more than a brief note in my logbook 
where only murders justified a detailed case history. But I certainly had no wish for murders. There I was treading, often innocently unaware, on dangerous ground. I shuddered to remember that on two of my previous investigations, but for the timely intervention of Jack and Thane, I would have become the killer's next victim. I had them to thank for my deliverance. When Vince arrived two days later, I told him that Jack and I were to separate for a while and there would be no wedding in the immediate future. I hoped to sound casual. For Jack's sake, and perhaps as a sop to my wounded pride, I preferred to take the line that this was a shared decision, especially as Vince liked Jack, and should we get together again, might thereafter regard him in a poorer light. His reaction was unexpectedly non-committal. He merely shook his head, called Jack a fine fellow, and hoped that I might not regret agreeing to such a proposal.